Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Welcome to the Steelers Outpost Podcast, February 19th, 2018, episode 25. This is Tom coming to you once again from the Washington, D.C. Outpost, and with me is my co-host, Nick, Skyping in from Houston. What is up, Nicholas? Nothing too much, Thomas and America, who I assume the majority of which is listening to this podcast per usual. Um, I wouldn't say it's slow in the NFL. It's about to pick up, but I did get some entertainment uh, sports-wise last night with the NBA All-Star Game, which actually, admittedly, I didn't watch the whole thing, but I did watch the 10-minute highlights. It seemed like it was uh, a little bit more competitive than the absolute joke it's been in the past few years. They actually held each other under 200 points, which is an improvement. NBA, right? This is the NBA, the National Basketball Association. Actually, in all seriosity here, they, the media and fans were very loud this year about saying, what can we do to make this thing serious again? You know, that's the question that we ask in the NFL all the time. But a lot of people were asking that, and the players said they took it upon themselves to make the thing more competitive and more entertaining. And while it wasn't the effort that you see in a normal NBA game, it was noticeably different from the last few years, and it really felt like you got to see the stars doing their thing. You had big twin towers, Joel Embiid and Giannis, you know, just these monster men who have huge personalities, and they're playing real defense and going up to block LeBron. And as a result, LeBron and all these other players have to make cooler, more impressive moves to get around them. And, of course, it finishes with the Westbrook to Kyrie Irving to LeBron. Beautiful basket to, to win the game in the final moment so actually pretty entertaining and a nice change of pace from the the crap bowl that we watched a couple weeks ago well look the, these guys uh livelihoods are on the line i don't see anybody putting they don't get paid enough to to risk yeah. injury so i'm not sure what you do back in the day in the 70s i believe the uh the pro bowl was accompanied by the superstars competition it was a little more competitive than uh what they do now with the the passing and the receiving that, that was actually fun. I mean, if it's just it's something to watch, how are you going to play football and have people actually risk their livelihood? Yeah, I agree. I, I So there was a article on ESPN.com where they had a lot of the primary NBA analysts basically brainstorm together and try and figure out an idea for what would make the NBA All-Star game more competitive. Ironically, this was it came out the day before, and then they reported later, like, hey, actually, it just sort of fixed itself. Within that article, they came up with the cool idea of maybe instead of doing a regular game five on five, nix that all together and do a three on three tournament. Have like the top eight best players pick their teams. So that adds some pride to it. And then it's all like 
a best of three tournament where you play the games on Friday and Sunday of the All-Star weekend and half court. You cannot hide on three-on-three basketball, and it kind of ties into the popularity of the big three and the fact that three-on-three basketball somehow got added to the Olympics. And, um, yeah, it just might create more competition, although like it's hard to incentivize these things financially, especially in the NBA because those guys are making so much money. But do you think there's any way the NFL could could rearrange? Because I agree, you can't really play an 11-on-11 game and expect them to try too hard. I wouldn't want them to. Can I just address the NBA issue? Address it. The NBA to me is like soccer. It mm. didn't exist in Pittsburgh. Oh yes, Pittsburgh had a had a pro team called the Condors in the late '60s, early '70s, with actually some good players. But I never uh, there no interest sparked in me for that game. And as an adult, as I watch it now, it's just it, it's just a big uh, waste of time during the regular season to me. Here we go. But the millennials seem to love the NBA. You know who else the millennials love, Nicholas? Who do they love? Tell me. Juju Smith-Schuster. Ah, Juju. Even in the doldrums of the spring. He is going back to college. You guys see that picture of him online the other day? In full Pittsburgh Steelers garb, including shoulder pads, jersey, and everything. He He was nice enough to leave off the helmet, I guess. In... Uh, there's my girlfriend in the background going, oh, my goodness. She liked the picture. We all love the picture. He had the decency to leave the helmet off. He was in class in the whole uniform and everything like that. And then a couple days later, he finds himself trending on Bleacher Report again because he's leading a massive fall of Troy level dance party with all these millennials fo- following him like the Pied Piper of Pittsburgh. Although I don't know where he's at right now. He, I think he's in L.A. But uh he always gives us something to talk about. So if you're feeling bad about yourself or nervous about the Steelers and some franchise tag deadlines that may uh, be coming up today, you can always enjoy the fact that we got Juju, who's uh, not only entertaining, but pretty good player, too. Prolific. It was interesting. Pro Football Focus just put out a rating of uh, wide receiver rating in, rook- in his rookie year. He has the highest rating of a rookie wide receiver from 2007 Ever. until, yeah, as long as Pro Football Focus has been putting out this rating. He beats out um, Odell Beckham Jr. by a significant a margin. Yeah. Yeah, so, oh, so Juju leads the pack with a PFF rating of 134.0. The next one is Odell at 127, and the rest of them are all right around 119. So Odell was far above the pack, and Juju even distanced himself from him, which is crazy. I mean, obviously Odell was more dominant during his rookie season, but um, some statistics came out that uh, Ben to Juju was also either the most effective or second most effective passer combo. So maybe he didn't dominate games. Well, a couple he did, but he didn't dominate them like Odell, but his efficiency is out of the roof. And that's something to be super excited about because you get the same guys back on offense, but Juju, we weren't, Juju wasn't at this level until about halfway through the year. So hopefully, you know, year two will be even bigger. I expect that it will be. So do you think there's going to be an even further passing of the guard between him and Martavis? I think that it's entrenched in stone now. I think we all know Juju is definitively the number two option behind AB. He got way more targets 
um, by the end of last year than Martavis and a lot more snaps, to be honest with you. But Martavis still has a big role to play. I thought that he also came along nicely, filling a role at the end of the season. That unbelievable touchdown catch he had on fourth down in the playoffs was pretty awesome. Um, I don't know if we'll ever see that dominant Martavis from before, but he was trending upwards and he was never really a number two to begin with, in my opinion. He had some big games, but like we said, he's four catches for 40 yards or four catches for 140, and he could still accomplish that even as the, I guess, proverbial number three. So what happens if Eli Rogers comes back and he can play? Will he have the slot or will Juju be in the slot? How do you see the formation? No, well, then hopefully, you know, Feetner, the feet man, Mr. Foot Fetish. No, that's Rex Ryan. I'm sorry, actually. I don't know what this guy does with his spare time, but I hope he studies Todd Haley because Todd Haley did some good things in that, especially regarding moving receivers around. So even AB will be in the slot sometimes. Juju, obviously, in the slot more. I don't think you'll ever really see Martavis Bryant in the slot. Eli, he's a backup receiver if he can get himself healthy. Obviously, he's rehabbing that torn ACL. I think he had surgery, and he's hopefully will be able to to sign and be healthy, but he's a backup guy. And especially when you consider the fact that Vance McDonald should be back next year and hopefully Le'Veon Bell, he's way down on the food chain. As you observe us standing on the ramparts of the outpost, I'm sure you know what's going on right now. Bell watch. So today is the first day teams can clamp the franchise tag on those troubling players who just don't want to reach a deal. So uh, we got a lot of input over the past week from our many listeners, and there's a significant Indeed. divide between those who say just sign him and those who say he's not worthy of straining the salary cap. So we'll let's talk about some of those arguments. Yeah, there's three camps, basically. Um, one camp says this is kind of a minority saying that you should just franchise tag him, take the hit this year, get his amazing services and be done with it. And then there's a for and against camp. There were some excellent articles that came out on all kinds of social media this week talking about basically the numbers for why it could be a bad idea to sign Le'Veon Bell. But uh, listen, I'm going to line this up for you. We're going to give you an against column and we're going to give you a for column. And you'll be able to tell that it's probably too close to call, to be honest with you. So Here's the against, the thing that everybody, the arguments everybody's making. Number one, he stands to or wants to make about $15 million per year. Now, on a team that has virtually no salary cap room and huge needs on defense, this could really hamstring the team. Especially if you look at the running back market, the four or five other top backs in the league make about $8 million a year. That's like half of what he wants. Devontae Freeman, LaShawn McCoy, Jonathan Stewart, Doug Martin, and Fournette, all making $8 million or less, basically. Now, obviously, Gurley, Johnson, and Ezekiel Elliott haven't gotten contracts yet, but it just shows you you could almost have two Devontae Freemans for the price of one Le'Veon Bell, So, especially when the team needs defensive players. Number two, the wear and tear on Le'Veon Bell is pretty substantial. He had over 400 touches in 2017. Only a few backs have ever done that. And then in 2016, he had 350-plus touches. The history, like we have said before, of backs doing well after that amount of usage is it's grim. They, don't, they might not necessarily fall off the cliff. A lot of them did, but they're not going to do as well as they did during those seasons. Number three or four, I forgot what our number's at, but 
the diminishing stats that he's shown. Now, if you watch him on the field, it still looks like Le'Veon Bell. He's making eye-popping plays, but the guy only barely averaged four yards a carry this year. That's his worst of all time, and it was very middle of the pack for running backs with his touch. And then I guess the last two things we'd say is, number one, if you pay him $15 million a year, he's going to be making $15 million a year ostensibly in, in three years from now, and there's no way he's going to be worth that kind of money at that point in his deal. You can structure it somewhat so you can kind of get out that at that point, but I don't know, you know, that wouldn't be a sensible thing to be paying some guy like that when he's past his prime. And then the last thing, which I will give some credit to my girlfriend, who I, we had this discussion earlier, Laura pointed out that D'Angelo Williams was very effective when the Steelers had him in there. And D'Angelo wasn't a top 10 running back. The guy was an old man when he played. He was good and he was experienced. So you can't just plug anyone in there. But the Steelers should have won the Super Bowl when they had D'Angelo. They got A.B. and D'Angelo got hurt before that Broncos playoff game. And so that kind of begs the question that, listen, the Steelers have great offensive pieces. Would you be able to plug somebody serviceable in there instead of Le'Veon Bell? So that's kind of the against column. You know what? I'm, I'm curious to see if an, what another team would pay pay him if he went to uh, unrestricted status. Is anybody else going to be looking at too. the same same uh, you know his tenure is 25, but how many years can he go uh, with this many carries or this many touches? Is he going right. to get 15 million dollars a year for three years from anybody else? Do you roll the I mean, dice? Mike Will or Mike Wallace made like 17 mil when he got out of the Steelers, so I feel like somebody will always pay the guy. Um, although I'm hoping, you know, he gets to this place in the negotiations with the Steelers where they find a healthy mi- middle ground because they do have to pay the guy a lot of money. He is worth a lot of money. But, you know, hopefully but Mike they Wallace find- is a wide receiver. I mean, is it lo- I, I I'm just comparatively assume. saying Mike Wallace, I would have never thought he would have made that big of a deal when he left the Steelers. But somebody's always out there willing to pay for the guy who they think is going to make their team better or who's just going to put bodies in the seats. Right. Well, maybe a team with a lot of, of um, salary cap. And they're and out you, there. You'll be hamstrung on a running back for $15, $15 million a year for three years, which is what I'm guessing he, he would settle for. Who's yeah. going to pick that up? There's a couple. You know, NFL.com was reporting the Buccaneers and the Giants are two big suitors who have the space and the need for him. And I'm sure there's a few others. So, But you bring up a great point. Like, who's going to pay him that? Well, at the end of the day, I think someone's always going to pay him, right? I mean, we'll see. Hopefully, hopefully we don't see. Well, we will know in a few hours whether he's tagged for the Steelers or not. Well, we'll know in a few hours or or maybe by the time this is actually this will come out in the morning. So I guess in a few hours we'll know if he's tagged or not. But that's not going to let us know if he's going to lock up a long term deal because they still can negotiate until March 6th. But let's move on from the feels unlikely, unlikely. What, that they're going to get the long term deal done? Yeah, it feels Based on the numbers that I just presented, that everybody's been presenting, it feels unli- unlikely. But it is, it's it has to be taken seriously how both Art Rooney and Le'Veon and Kevin Colbert have come out very strongly saying that they want to work out a long term deal. Now I know everybody wants to work out a long term deal, but they've really gone out of their way to say this it's going to get done. So if we're thinking about that, let's go to the four column, right? Number one. Okay, that $15 million hit hamstrings you for the rest of your team. If you don't sign Le'Veon Bell, you could sign like two little running backs. 
you could be like the Eagles or the Patriots and have your James White. I mean, Deion Lewis from the Patriots is a free agent. There's so many. TJ Yeldon, uh, Giovanni Bernard. You could sign two of those guys and you could get a, a middle linebacker and your team overall would be better. Well, first off, that's just assuming the people you sign, particularly defense is where we say the need is. That's assuming that they're going to make your defense go from putrid to good. And that's that's a far jump, right? So there, number two is there are no marquee free agents at linebacker and safety, which are the positions we're looking for. There are none. And even if there were, like a Darrell Rivas-type difference maker, there's no way the Steelers can afford him even without Le'Veon Bell. And as far as the running back by committee approach, everyone's pointing to the Super Bowl where you saw the Eagles and the Patriots use these little platoons of Oompa Loompas and barbarians like LeGarrette Blunt to kind of specialize in their own unique skill, whether it's bash up the middle or make a catch on the outside. And they use these guys to get all the way to the Super Bowl and win the Super Bowl. Well, the Steelers will be starting from zero with running back. There is no D'Angelo Williams. There is no experienced guy like Blunt. You got a running back, James Conner, who has a torn MCL or whatever. You'd be starting from zero. So that's just kind of a far assumption for me to, for you to assume that those guys are going to be effective, right? So the last couple things I would say in the four column for Le'Veon Bell is that I think that it's kind of the obvious point to keep the guy, which is that this guy is a transcendent player. He's probably been a top five, easily a top 10 player in the whole NFL as far as difference makers go for the last few years. And it's not just his production that affects the Steelers and other teams. It's the stress he puts on defensive coordinators because unlike these teams that use platoons of running backs, when Le'Veon's on the field, you have no idea if the Steelers are going to run inside, outside, pass, run out of shotgun, motion him out onto a linebacker. If you have a corner on him, he can go run the ball. You just don't know what to do as a defensive coordinator. It's like what they used to say offensive coordinators had to go through with Troy Palomalo because there's just this wild card factor. So he makes the Steelers' offense much better. And then particularly in the Ben aid column, especially at this part of Ben's career, Le'Veon Bell's skills as a pass blocker, probably the best in the league as a dump off man. And as just a guy who catches balls has already prolonged Ben's career huge for this window, which we all know begins and ends with Ben. And, um, the guy's only 26 years old. He just turned 26 years old on Monday. I know that he has a lot of carries on him, but he's obviously got some big time productive years ahead of him. And like I said, just to wrap it up, I don't think that you can just assume that letting him go, you're going to pick up guys who are going to make this team get over the hump to the Super Bowl. And if you don't do it now, you're not doing it. So I'm in the four column. I think what they're going to end up doing is signing him to a franchise tag one year, but I hope that they get him on the, on the, on the multi-year deal. Well, for the sake of the show, I wish I could argue with you, but I agree. So while other shows are looking, uh, this transition to our... We'll do our transition tag. Transition. Other podcasts looking at the Steelers are sifting through hundreds of players you've never heard of from schools that you didn't even know fielded football teams. Right. We're actually going to take a look at how the Steelers selection in the past uh, stacks up against the four teams that were in the conference championships this past year. So I, I took a look at all the rosters of 
you know, from Patriots, Vikings, Eagles, and Jaguars, and, and stack them up against the Steelers in terms of are they first rounder heavy rosters? Are they filled with people they drafted or picked up in free agency? And I'm not going to try to do this on the podcast. We'll have the graphs on the website, www.steelersoutpost.com. But it's fascinating because of all those teams, the Steelers have the fewest number of players who are either below the third round or undrafted. We have five players among the starting 22 in the last game who are below the third round or undrafted. Fully eight of our starters were first rounders and seven were second rounders. Listen to what the Patriots had. 11 of their players, half of the players on the field were either below the third round or undrafted. 12 Vikings, 12 Vikings were either below the third round or undrafted. So compared uh, to our five. Right, so they're doubling close to tripling. I guess what that says is that the Steelers are very like top-heavy and reliant on the guys we draft in the first and second round. And if you look at that study, which is an awesome study, you can kind of see why the Steelers are struggling right now because the last couple first-rounders with Artie and Bud and some of those guys, they're they're floundering a little bit. Well, just to add a little um, comparative information, I threw up the Browns, and they have – Six first-rounders playing for them. As we know, they get about five first-rounders a year. And, That's right. Uh, but they had, they had 10, 10 players either below the third round or undrafted. Granted, they probably need a little more time to get some traction. But I'm not sure what this study tells you, but there is emphasis I mean, on, on these first-rounders. I think the other teams um, kind of rely on outside help. Of all the teams that were in this study – the Steelers had the most players that were homegrown. In other words, not imported yep. in free agency. So we have 18 of, our play, 18 of our 22 came from the draft or were basically That's picked incredible. up out of, right out of college. Well, that the next speaks exactly. 13 by the Jags. Okay, so we have 18 and the next highest is 13. That's pretty substantial. Yeah. And, and that speaks to the Steelers' reputation. The Steelers and the Packers particularly have reputations for developing players that they draft, and that's their system. And we are seeing that in this day and age, the most successful team ever, who's also the most successful team during this time, the Patriots, barely do that at all. So um, I don't think you have to go extreme to one side or another. Um, it seems to be some sort of combination. The Steelers have brought in guys. Vance McDonald's a big one. I don't expect to see other guys – um, coming in too much this year, hopefully someone to for some depth. But that kind of perfectly ties into the Le'Veon Bell talk because traditionally when the Steelers have had a guy that they love, especially an all-time Steelers talent like Le'Veon Bell, they find a way to keep the guy. And that just seems to be backed up by the numbers that you put out there. So, like I said, probably easier to look at these graphs than to have us throw out a bunch of numbers, but but it, it is interesting. I'm not sure what the conclusions are. I don't think you – I think you still try to grow your talent. You just want to choose correctly yeah. in that first round, that valuable first round pick. Yeah, we don't have a lot of room to mess around with free agents because we have some amazing star players who command huge salaries with A.B., Ben, Le'Veon, and that offensive line. So, it, it you know, it's hard to complain about it. We'll, we'll put it up on Twitter, too. We'll just tweet out the graph, as well, uh, the graph as well so you can see it more easily. But go to the website, damn it. Presumably, we'll have something interesting to talk about next week, depending on how this franchise tag goes. And, um, but please, do visit us at SteelersOutpost.com. Take a look at these graphs, and we'd love to hear your comments, see if you discern any pattern that has any meaning. Otherwise, follow us on Twitter at SteelersOutpost or drop us an email at SteelersOutpost at gmail.com. 
Well, and last thing I'll say, guys, Le'Veon did say at the Pro Bowl that they were targeting that February 20th date as the, the first day where you can do the franchise tag as the day when they wanted to get the long-term deal done by. Um, Mr. Rooney said that these things usually get done at the last minute, so I'm kind of expecting more near March 6th. But if indeed the man is staying with the black and gold, we might have to call a breaking break glass in case of emergency podcast situation on our hands. And yeah. I'm hoping watch for that, our, but I'm not. Watch late. our Twitter feed. Watch it. All right. Thanks again, everybody, for joining us. We'll talk to you next week. Okay. Bye bye. The spirit of performance is what defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. There are some things that are too good to keep a secret. Like how your Amex Platinum card helps you have the perfect trip. I'd like to check into the Centurion Lounge. Or how it seems like you always get those hard-to-snag tables. Ooh, yum. And how you get the most out of select can't-miss events. With access to the Centurion Lounge, Resi Priority Notified, and Amex card member benefits at select events, you'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com match. Just go to Indeed.com slash match right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash match. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and a broom. A performance-enhancing broom. My name is John Cullen. I'm a comedian, podcaster, and for 20 years, I was a semi-professional curler. And I want to tell you the story about how a single broom almost imploded the 500-year-old sport of curling. We felt like we were bringing a knife to a gunfight. It's the story of a superstar and his fall from grace. Oh, I was being dragged through the mud. It's the story of two brother entrepreneurs with a dream. <laughs> I said, that's great news. It's a story of intrigue. I still don't understand why we want to keep his name secret. The full story has never been told, so I'm going to tell it. Broomgate, how a broom almost killed curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. To listen to Broomgate, search for Broomgate in your favorite podcast app. That's all one word, Broomgate.